Tonight we're going to be in John 5. Uh, I'm going to read 1 through 18, uh, but I'm going to be focusing in, as you'll see, uh, on verses 1 through 9 and then 14. But let me uh, read for us first John 5, uh, starting in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord, we thank you uh, that it's true, uh, that it's everlasting. Uh, Father, even as we read of someone uh, in need of healing and Jesus being so willing and ready to heal him, Father, we are reminded of the fact that we too are in need of your grace and mercy. And so tonight we pray uh, that by your spirit, Lord, you would use this word uh, to mold us and to make us, to replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, to open up our eyes and to unclog our ears that we might behold and become more like Jesus. We ask all of this in his name. Amen. Uh, if you stay up late enough and are just turning the channels on the TV, which probably increasingly happens less now that you know we have mostly streaming television but if you still have an antenna or an actual cable box and are able to flick through channels late at night or you have done that it, it wouldn't be surprising if you came along uh, you, you start the later you stay up the, the stranger the commercials get and um, usually they begin selling things uh, and oftentimes those things are for people in desperate situations uh, you've probably seen a commercial for people selling little vials of water. You know, maybe it's something they, they claim they found the fountain of youth, or maybe it's someone professing to be a Christian that's been to the Jordan River and they say, you can have this, you know, for a small donation of whatever, $99 or uh, whatever it is they're asking. But, but the whole reason they are doing things like that is, is they are usually preying upon people who are in a desperate situation. 
It's easy to like scoff and laugh. If you haven't bought, if you have bought, you know, you've, you've been there. Uh, but it is. It, it, the whole reason those markets exist is because there are people who have reached the end of their rope, uh, who've maybe exhausted all medical options, uh, who maybe don't know where else to turn, and they do something like that. In Jerusalem, in this passage, there's a huge festival going on. We're not told exactly what feast or festival it is, but it's, it's big, as, as most of the ones in Jerusalem were. In fact, uh, some scholars say that in, in these feasts and festivals, the, the, the population of Jerusalem would increase five times. So five times the population of Jerusalem was actually in this city. Huge party, huge festival. We don't really have a great comparison to this. You know, we have things like the Olympics, the World Cup's going on right now, where you see small, remote Russian towns all of a sudden explode with people from different countries. Um, but it's, it's a celebratory affair. People are there to worship and to remember God's goodness and faithfulness. And Jesus chooses, Jesus chooses in the midst of that time not to join in with the crowds, but to actually go to one of the most desperate places in all of Jerusalem. I don't know why it is. When I first read this passage, I think of the Pool of Bethesda. I think because of the word colonnades, that makes it sound fancy. I don't know, somewhere has colonnades. It just sounds like it's nice or fancy. Um, I have this picture of like a nice Roman bath in my, in my head. The, this place couldn't be further from fancy. It is a desperate place full of desperate people. The Pool of Bethesda was not some nice chlorinated blue pool. This place was filled with people who'd exhausted all other options. And they were told, there was this legend in Jerusalem that if you showed up at this pool and you saw the water being stirred by an angel and you were the first one in after that happened, you would be healed. And so people with all sorts of ailments, all sorts of sicknesses showed up at this pool to be healed. And we're told they're there for a long, I mean, some of these people are there for years. The man Jesus talks to has been waiting at this pool for 38 years. We took our son to the emergency room two weeks ago to get stitches and we were in and out in like less than three hours. You know, if you ever show up at one of those, you know, you've got the flu or something, you, you have to go to the walk-in clinic. And it just so happens that, you know, 30 other people decided that hour to go as well. It, it, we can get frustrated if we're not seen, you know, in the first 45 minutes, for an hour. I don't know the desperation this man has gone through. The average lifespan of a male at this time was 45 to 50 years old. This man's been there 38 years. He's, he's preparing to die at this pool, filled with other people who are also probably preparing to die. Many of them can't walk. So there really is no hope that they would be able to get in to the pool, much less be in the pool before other people. They can't go to the bathroom on their own. They can't bathe themselves. This place was gross. It was hopeless. And Jesus enters in and he finds a man there who's been waiting there 38 years and he asks him one of the more remarkable, surprising, and maybe even upon first hearing, it's almost an offensive question where he says, do you want to be healed? 
He asked this man who's been waiting there 38 years, do you want to be healed? When I read this question, it, it, it made me think of uh, that moment in Genesis when, when after the fall, Adam and Eve sinned. They've been living in perfect harmony with God, walking in the garden with him. And they sin and they recognize they're naked and they hide. And then God asks them, this is God, the creator of the garden, the creator of them, knower of all things. He says, where are you? God's not asking that question to gain new information. Jesus is not asking this man this question to gain new information. But he's asking this man this question, as we'll see, to get this man, and I think us in turn, as we read this and see ourselves in this, ask ourselves the question, what do we perceive our need to be? And where is our hope? And so those are, those are the two things we're going to look at. Jesus asks this question to, to make us examine our need and to examine our hope. Examine our need and examine our hope. Um, this man is by all, I mean, any assessment, by all assessments, this man's in a desperate place. But one of the things Jesus is getting at in this passage is that this man is actually in a more desperate place than even he recognizes. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 is one of the strangest, and, and even theologians and historians don't really know exactly what Jesus is getting at. But this is after he's healed the man. You know, uh, some of the Pharisees have come up and, and questioned him, and then Jesus finds him and he says, Hey, See, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, I don't know exactly what Jesus is getting at. I don't know if, if this man's in this situation because of something he did, he brought on himself. Jesus certainly does, says in other places that not all suffering is the result of, of our own actions. But, but here's at the very least what this means when Jesus says this to this man is that this healing that he's offered this man is far more than just a physical repair job. The healing that Jesus is after in this man is far greater and a far glorious, far more glorious healing than this man was hoping for and certainly far more than he was expecting. And so when Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed He's getting this man to examine his own heart, to ask himself, what are the ways in which I need to be healed? This man's at this pool. Everyone at this pool is likely under the impression, if I'm healed, that's my ticket out of here. I'm in some sort of desperate situation. I can't walk. I can't see. Maybe I can't even think straight. This pool, that water being stirred up, that is my ticket out of here. And Jesus is there to remind him, your problem is much greater, but the solution I'm offering you is so much more beautiful and so much more glorious than anything this pool could ever offer you. Not only are you actually more sick than you realize, 
Uh, but there is a solution that's actually far more beautiful and a savior, far more willing to heal you than you realize. But for this man and all those people there, naturally it would have been, hey, yeah, this pool is my ticket out of here. Uh, Jesus is asking us to examine our hearts, to actually take stock of what our actual need is. To ask ourselves, what are the ways I need to be healed? Not necessarily what are the ways I want to be healed, but what are the ways I need to be healed? That's a scary question. And if you're like me, it's really easy for us to oversimplify what we need. If we're dissatisfied with our lot in life, it's really easy just to be like, gosh, I can't wait until I've got a degree and I'm making money. I can't wait until I have a better job or we have a house with one more room. I can't wait until I don't have to be around this person every day. I can't wait until I have a better body, a body that actually works. It's not wrong to wish for some of these things. Maybe it's wrong to wish for some of them, but it's it's not wrong to hope. But what Jesus is getting at here is it's really easy for us to put all of our hope in that, for us to believe that that is our ticket to true healing. And so the question that Jesus asks here is, 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 it's more than just, hey, you who've been suffering here for 38 years, I even told this man's name, do you want me to fix you real quick? No, no, Jesus is asking, do you want to be healed? And, and do you want to be healed in a much more magnificent, glorious way than you could ever dare dream or hope? Do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? Because Jesus is saying, look, I can do this. The offer of the gospel, we'll see throughout the gospels, throughout the New Testament, the offer of the gospel is free. Come to Jesus as we are, as, as in our sickness, in our mess, and he will heal us. He will save us. It's that simple, and yet it's not that easy. Because Jesus can renew us, adopt us in a moment, but it takes the rest of our life to actually grow into that new identity. I remember a few years ago, my dad elected to have double knee replacement surgery. I said elected. He needed two new knees, but he didn't have to do it at the same time. He chose to do it at the same time, which proved to be an unwise decision. Uh, but the doctor, you know, was kind of prepping him beforehand saying, uh, look, you know, you basically have no cartilage. The reason you're miserable is because your bones are basically rubbing together every time you take a step. You, you need surgery at some point, probably sooner rather than later. And uh, so yeah, they, they agreed on that. But, but basically the doctor kind of painted this picture. The, the surgery in and of itself was, is not a super complicated surgery. We lived only about 45 minutes. So I went over there the day of the surgery. In about an hour or two, my dad had two new knees. That, that didn't take long at all. The doctor said, I, I can give you two new knees that are way better than any knees you've had in decades. You don't have to contribute anything. You're going to be asleep. Your insurance is covering this. You're going to be knocked out and you're going to wake up with two brand new knees and you did nothing to contribute to it. However, the weeks and months following, 
it is going to take a little while for you to grow into your new knees. They're there. They work perfectly. They're great. They're clean. They have built-in cartilage that will not disappear. But it's going to take a while for you to get used to these. It's actually going to take work. Uh, It's going to take you going to a rehab clinic. It's going to take you doing exercises that you've never done before and don't want to do to grow in to your new knees. And in the same way, the, the, the healing that the gospel offers us is free. We read from Ephesians 1 earlier in, in, in the assurance of pardon. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that God saved us while we were dead. While we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we were made alive in Christ Jesus. We've been saved by grace through faith, not in ourselves, but in Jesus. We come and we are redeemed by God's free grace. And yet, even though we are adopted as sons and daughters in a moment and that identity can never be shaken, living in that identity takes a lifetime getting used to. It's like putting on, a new, Paul gives the image of putting on righteousness, putting on holiness. It's, it's like trying to fit into brand new clothes that you're not used to wearing. Sometimes living as a child is really hard and really foreign when we've been living as an enemy. And it takes work. It takes working this out. It takes getting used to. It will feel like death sometimes. Some of you have probably prayed that, Lord, uh, I trust you and I believe in you, but following you is really hard. It actually feels like I'm dying to everything that I love and I like at the moment. I don't know what to do. Some of you have come to God in prayer, maybe even this week. It is hard. The healing Jesus offers is beautiful and it's magnificent and it is hard. And so Jesus is asking, do you want to be healed? Can you trust me that I'm good and faithful? C.S. Lewis gives a great illustration of this in Mere Christianity. He describes the work God does in his children. He said, and he he asks, he gives the metaphor of a house being renovated. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. So often we come to God thinking, Lord, I, need, I just need some tweaks. Will you do, just do your thing real quick. I need some fixes here. Jesus is after a much more beautiful and glorious, comprehensive work in us. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, do you want to be healed? Do you, go, do you want God to continue to heal you? You know you need to change in X, Y, and Z ways. You know you struggle with cynicism, probably in the same way this man at the pool struggled with cynicism. 
Notice what he says when Jesus says, hey, do you want to be healed? He's like, well, I don't have anyone to take me to the pool. And even if I did, someone always butts in in front of me. You want, you want to give up your cynicism. And yet there's also some, this, this weird appeal about cynicism that makes you feel smart. It makes you feel intellectual. You know you should stop gossiping. And yet there's also this strange tug because you love having knowledge of other people's stuff. You love being in a position where you feel better than them. You know you're called to pursue reconciliation, and yet that's, ooh, man, is that complicated, and man, is that hard to do. That takes incredible wisdom, incredible courage. It takes a body, and it's hard It really is hard. Do you want to be healed? The invitation from Jesus is to come as we are. Some of you have run to many things in order to be healed. It might be your personality. Uh, It might just be being busy. Uh, It might be being impressive. Ask yourself, how is that working out for you? Is that giving you the meaningful life, the worthwhile life that you thought you'd get? Isn't it amazing? This man's and, his, and the people at this pool are called invalid. Their, their life was deemed by society to be invalid. They are there. They want to be validated. We want to be validated. Have these things that you've sought after validated you in the way that you thought they would? Jesus asks you and he asks me, do you want to be healed? This man's life is a mess. It it would have been really hard for this man uh, to believe that anyone would ever want to help him get healed, much less harder to believe that the God of the universe would take on flesh and actually come in and heal him. Some of you tonight come to, you don't have a, maybe your mess looks different, but maybe you've begun to think I'm too messy. Or I've just messed up too many times. There's things, I've got too many skeletons in my closet. I've done things even this week that I don't want the person sitting next to me to know about. And it can be easy to think, I'm too messy. I'm too gross. I've done things, I've had things done to me. God would never be interested in me. Look at where Jesus is. This man was not looking for Jesus. He's in a desperate place and Jesus actually delights. That's actually the picture of the gospel. Jesus delights in entering into places like this and healing. We're even told that in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, that we have a God who delights, that he, we cannot on our own replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He will replace our heart of stone. He will give us a heart of flesh. That's the type of Savior we have. We have a Savior who's not only Willing, He's more willing to enter into our mess than we are willing to admit our mess. And that's half the good news. The other half of the good news is that we actually have a God who is able to deliver us 
from our mess. Because all of these miracles Jesus is doing throughout the Gospels, in the next chapter he'll feed 5,000 people, these are one of the many signs Jesus did. Throughout the Gospel of John, he always uses that word sign, pointing to something greater that Jesus is getting at. All of these healings, all these lives that are being renewed, and sometimes literally Jesus resurrecting from the dead, are actually pointing to a greater resurrection. Jesus' own resurrection. And so if you're like me, you're going to go through moments where you're wondering, okay, I know I know Jesus says he wants to heal me, but it, I'm not being healed. The good news of this passage is not that because of Jesus in this life, you're going to have the most comfortable, most successful life you can possibly imagine. But what it does mean is that there is hope. And it's not, it's not just a mere naive optimism that there's a God somewhere up there that's interested in you grandpa in the sky and that, that he might have mercy on you when you die. But no, Christianity doesn't call us just to merely be optimistic. It calls us to be realistic, to have a realistic hope in the fact that in history, Jesus died on the cross and three days later, he defeated death and was resurrected. And that God promises to come back and to wipe away every tear from every eye there will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. That's our hope. And, and that's the God who is asking us, do you want to be healed? It can be a hard place to be. We just sang, heal us, Emmanuel. And, and some of us come singing some of these. I love, I love these passages. Our faith is fable, we confess. We faintly trust thy word, but will you pity us the less? Be that far from you, Lord. Jesus is not asking you to have awesome faith. He's asking you to trust him. Sometimes that faith will be great. Sometimes that faith will be small. The highlight of that is not the quality of our faith, but the object of our faith, our Savior. He is willing and he is able. Let me pray. Father, Lord, every one of us in this room uh, tonight uh, needs you. Lord, as we will sing soon, Lord, we need you not just uh, at the moment when we were converted or not only when we see how badly we've messed up, but Lord, we need you every hour because, Lord, there are things inside us of which we are not even aware that we need your mercy. And so, Father, we cry out to you. Lord, would you heal us, Father? Not heal us just in the ways we want to be healed, but, Lord, would you be so gracious as to heal us in the ways that we need to be healed? Lord, we ask this maybe trembling because we know what that might cost us, and yet we ask it hopefully because we know the God to whom we make these requests. We know that you are good. In a world where our fathers will pass away, our fathers will fail us. Lord, you are our true and our good and our everlasting Father. And so we pray all of these things to you in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.